On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got a chance to sit down with Meng Li, formerly from Native and now her own startup, Huhu. We had an awesome conversation. She was there with growth from two people in the marketing department to 15 by the time that she left. We talked about a bunch of the different growth levers that they used pre and post iOS 14.5. It was an awesome conversation, a lot of actionable things and a lot of things that we really do believe in ourselves here as well. We've actually seen the fruit of a lot of the things that we talked about here. You guys are not going to want to miss this one. If you are a mid seven figure brand and above, listen up. Are you struggling with ads this year? Uh, how about growth in general? What about profitability? Supply chain issues got you down? You are not alone. As a brand owner myself, I totally get this. iOS 14 has ravaged many smaller brands. The good news? Our clients at Upgrowth and the brands that we own have not been touched. Don't get me wrong. We had to fight to figure out how to advertise effectively in a post-surveillance ad world, but we learned some incredible lessons along the way, and we want to share some of those lessons with you. So go to www.upgrowthcommerce.com grow to apply for a free growth plan today so we can show you what is working in a post-iOS 14.5 world. Again, that is www.upgrowthcommerce.com grow. Now... On to today's episode. Someone on my team thought I either had superpowers or woke up at 5 a.m. to crunch client numbers. Turns out, I just used Triple Whale. Yeah, that's what one of their customers said, and he may be onto something. No one has to know the secret weapon to your success is Triple Whale's powerful analytics platform, built to accurately pinpoint your ad spend across networks, making you look like the smartest person in the room. Their robust app helps you clarify your campaign's performance so you can run smarter, faster, more effective ad spends in real time and reap the rewards. Are you a genius? Only one way to find out. Guys, want to take Triple Whale for a spin? Stop by triplewhale.com upgrowth and use promo code upgrowth for 15% off. Now on to today's episode. Hey guys, Jordan West back with another episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. I am very excited for this episode today. Uh, we're going to be bringing you some great stuff on brand and uh, we've got uh, quite an expert in the house today, Meng Li, formerly from Native. Meng, welcome to Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Hi Jordan, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So for people who don't know anything about you or anything about your you know, former employer, Native, and we're going to get into your startup as well and, and talk about some of that stuff. But for people who don't know anything about that whole world, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my background, I am a brand and growth marketer by training. That's where I've been for the bulk of my career. I started my career at a big CPG company at Johnson & Johnson in a very traditional brand management role. Decided I wanted to go to a smaller startup, moved out to the Bay Area and worked for Method Products, which at the time was a startup. And then most recently, I was running marketing at Native. Uh, Native was acquired by Procter & Gamble in 2017, and they make personal care products that are made with clean ingredients. So the flagship product is a natural deodorant. And since then, the brand has expanded into body wash, toothpaste, hair care, and uh, skincare as well. I find that so interesting because I totally know them as the deodorant company, right? That's like immediately as soon as you say native, there's you know two natives, 
Native shoes, at least in my, my world, there's native shoes and native deodorant. <laughs> How long were you with them and what was what did that position exactly entail? Yeah, so I was with Native for over just over three years. I joined the company right after the acquisition and then was there until the end of last year. So I was there during a really exciting time of growth and change. During the time that I was there, you know, the business launched into retail. The business also expanded from just one category deodorant into multiple over a pretty short period of time. And I was responsible, you know, my role changed over the course of the time as a business grew. But when I joined, I was the second employee on the marketing team. So I was tasked with scaling and building out the marketing function. And at that point, when I first joined, I was doing everything. I was writing copy. You only had two people on your marketing team? It was me and one other person at the time. And were you outsourcing to agencies or? Yes, there were a couple of agencies, but a lot of stuff was still done in-house just with a really scrappy team. So at that point, I was writing copy. I was making (laughs) terrible graphic images on Photoshop. You know, I was, you know, like sending out press samples, you know, doing, you know, everything and also coming up with strategy and scaling out new channels. And then three years later, after the team grew significantly, by the end, it was a team of about 15 people. And I was really more overseeing um, professional development, thinking about longer term strategy and working with cross-functional partners. Awesome. Let's dive in here. So 2022 has been brutal. I think everybody who you know I talk to, we run a mastermind. Uh, there's not one person that's been untouched this year. I was just talking to a friend this morning who, who was telling me how in Q4, he was down 40% year over year last year. Uh, it's brutal. It's yep. been absolutely brutal for direct consumer brands who don't have the brand behind them and don't have the name recognition and all of that kind of stuff. Let's talk about the growth that you guys saw in that three years. Talk me about some of those big triggers. And really what I'm hoping for for our audience today is that we'll be able to to look back on this and think, okay, what can I do in 2022 that worked? That that worked back then that will continue to work now? Because I I love to divide things into, you know, strategies and tactics, right? Strategies generally are are long lasting, everlasting things. Tactics are, you know, Facebook ads was working for many years and it's not really anymore. (laughs) You know, I mean, it is in, in a sense, just not to the efficacy that we use to see. So walk me through what some of those big levers were that you were pulling over there. Yeah, I would say, you know, obviously 2022 is a different era than what it was like in, you know, 2019 and 2020. But I think the three biggest things that really drove Native's growth during the time I was there was one, launching into new categories. I think that helped drive growth significantly because before we were sort of a, the business was a one category product, the same product across a lot of different SKUs. I think launching into adjacent categories really helped expand our portfolio expanded our reach into people who were interested in other products and then really helped with increasing average order value. Mm. So that's one. The second one was scaling out as quickly as we could into other marketing channels. Initially, you know, the first couple of years, Native really grew on Facebook ads and the bulk of the marketing spend was on Facebook. But even you know, three years ago, we knew that we needed to diversify away from just being so overly reliant on one channel. Yeah. And so we diversified into multiple. We tested a lot of different channels. We launched into podcasts, direct mail. We did linear TV. We did OTT. We really aggressively expanded into influencer marketing. So testing a lot of different channels and seeing what worked was able to get us in front of new audiences that helped us acquire new customers. 
Mm. Third piece is launching into retail. I think at this point, a lot most DTC brands recognize that you have to have retail as a part of your overall strategy, particularly for personal care category. Around 90% of total purchases are still made inside a brick and mortar store. Of course. So I think there was a certain point where it felt like, you know, Native had sort of tapped out on all of the bulk of the customers that were shopping online and then expanding into retail. Target was the first retailer that Native expanded into. To, that was helped unlock a significant amount of growth because we were really able to reach new customers, reach new audiences that would otherwise have likely not considered native. Wow. There's just so much to unpack in there. And thank <laughs> you for all those things that you shared, because okay. interestingly, all of those things are still in your control. People who are listening right now, like all of those are things that you can do in 2022. And in my opinion, if I were to, you know, go in and do a full day consulting, which I do not do just so please nobody reach out to me for that. But if I were, that's exactly what I would tell people to do, right? Diversify yeah. your channel, diversify your product mix mm-hmm. and get into retail. If you're not in retail, there's still some brands out there. There's good friends of mine who are scared to get back into retail. I'm like, guys, this is a massive, massive marketing channel for you. Marketing and sales channel, right? But like huge marketing channel, right? Even people, a lot of times they they don't think a brand is legitimate until they see them in retail. Right. It's it's almost a proof. It's social proof, right? And it's proof of legitimacy if a big retailer puts you on their shelf. But I also understand retail is a really difficult, tough business. And when you enter retail, uh, there's a lot you give up there in terms of control of your product and your brand. So I also understand the hesitation that a lot of DTC brands have with going into retail because in a DTC environment where you're selling on your own platform direct to consumers, you control that entire experience. Totally. It's hard. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's one thing to, that you almost, you give up a little bit getting into retail. It's almost like getting a boss, right? It's like, you've been like on your own this whole time. And now, you know, you have this chain with, you know, 700 stores and they're like, well, you can't do that here. You're like, yes, I can. I've been doing whatever I want for all these years. Right. Right. And they're like, no, this is how we do things here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, let's get into the the paid side and spreading into the different channels. I'd love to know the mix between performance and brand marketing that you guys were performing as you were scaling up in those three years. What did that look like? And and how are you approaching things being a little bit of a bigger brand uh, at this point? How are you approaching what that marketing mix looked like? Yeah, so... You know, I think of the difference between performance and brand marketing in terms of the metrics and the KPIs we were measured against. So performance, I think of as really looking at it from, you know, cost acquisition, cost standpoint and cost per acquisition. And then with brand marketing, it's sort of just more impressions and reach. And I would say, you know, it fluctuated, but roughly the bulk of the spend was still in performance. We were still measuring the performance in terms of CAC. So it was roughly probably somewhere between 60 to 70% of it was performance. And then 30 to 40 was in sort of more brand top of funnel where you really couldn't measure, you couldn't directly attribute to sales. And it was just more about reach. This month's sponsor is Triple Whale. Triple Whale's powerful analytics platform clarifies your ad performance across marketing channels, keeping you instantly in the know. Go to triplewhale.com slash upgrowth and use promo code upgrowth for 15% off today. Now, back to today's episode. 
So for those, you know, heavy performance people who are like, well, why would you even spend that if you can't measure it? Yeah. What's the justification for that brand marketing? Because I'm, I'm on your side, Ming. Like, I think it's so ridiculously important to have that type of brand awareness marketing. But walk me through how you justify that, especially in a bigger company like that. Yeah, I would say the first piece is it was honestly sort of an easy decision because once you enter retail, performance marketing, you can you're not you can't be totally accurate because no. you can't measure you can't measure the performance and conversion in retail because retailers are not going to share that data with you. So, for example, you could run Facebook ads. You have to assume that Facebook ads are impacting the sales and conversion on your site. They also have to be impacting the performance in retail. So, you, but you can't measure the performance in retail and conversion. So, it's, your tech is never going to be really, honestly, accurate once you launch into retail. Yeah. So, I think when we entered into retail, it was just much easier to make the case for okay, not every dollar has to go into direct conversion because, to a certain extent, we just can't measure. Accurately. And yeah. two, I think once you enter retail, the stakes change. You have to reach a much more audience. And there's going to be some channels where, you know, I think the first thing that comes to mind is linear TV, where you can get a ton of reach. You will reach new audiences. You can't measure it, but it still has to be part of your mix. Yeah. I mean, look at it's hilarious because you hear all these like D2C founders over the last, you know, four or five years, like, oh, I would never spend money on anything I can't measure. Well, guys, look at all of the biggest brands in the world and where do they still consistently spend a ton of their money? Right. They're not wrong. They're not doing anything wrong by spending on TV, right? And there's incredible TV channels now, right? That like, you know, especially with, you know, connected TV and all of that kind of stuff that you can run YouTube. I mean, if you want to dip your, your toes in, go there, right? right? And then at least you can measure whether people are watching or not. Right. I think the other piece too that helped make that decision to start investing in more top of funnel brand marketing is iOS 14. Because after that happened, right, like performance really fell off a cliff for a lot of particularly Facebook. You couldn't really target as precisely as you could before the attribution, yeah. you know, it was all off. And so at that point, when you're comparing then like, you know, CPMs and you're comparing, okay, well, Facebook is getting more expensive and it's not performing as well, then you now compare like a lot of other channels that otherwise before had seemed way too expensive, open up and it becomes sort of more of, a, of an option and something to consider because the one lever that was working really well before really wasn't. And you had to figure out how to, to continue to drive growth. Totally. That's such a good point that as you know, before you'd look at one of these channels and be like, well, why would I pay like a $20 CPM on connected TV or whatever, when I can't even really measure it, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to, but now it's like, well, I can't measure anything anyway. <laughs> Besides with our sponsor for the last two months, Triple Whale. <laughs> I didn't have to put that in, guys, but I love you guys so much. By the way, people who are listening, 30 of you have signed up um, using our code. So that is just astounding. I don't know how that happened, but that's cool. That makes me think, wow. There's a lot of people who listen to this podcast. So thank you guys. <laughs> anyway, where were we? That was not a commercial break, everyone. That was just a, that was just an attribution talk. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about uh, uh, comparing CPMs across different uh, marketing channels. That's right. Yeah. So it really does allow in 2022 for us to start thinking about these other things. Meng, let's move on to your new project. Tell us a little bit about this new project. You left Native mm -hmm. to start this new project. What What is it? What are you hoping for out of this project? 
Yeah, I can give you a little bit of context. So I left Native at the end of last year to focus on starting my own business full time. I started thinking about this product idea about a year ago after I had my second kid and I was frustrated with the lack of good options on the market for a diaper bag. And for anyone that has kids, it's just something you have to have to just carry all your kids stuff around for them. Yeah. And the market right now, it's on one end of the spectrum, it's low cost, low quality, doesn't look great. It'll fall apart after, you know, six months of use. Yeah, and the other kid. The spectrum is higher quality, high price point, but more of a f- women's fashion statement and just mm. not functional. Like it doesn't really, it's too heavy. It's not enough. Like pack. a bigger purse, basically. Exactly. It's like a giant, like vegan leather purse. And for me, I just wanted something that was more gender neutral, simple design so that my husband and I could both use it. And we didn't have to switch back and forth between different bags and super functional designed by a parent who's gone through a lot of different options and knows exactly what is needed and made from high quality materials that will last the many years that you'll probably need to use this product with your kids. And yeah, so I started, you know, just sketching random ideas. And then I decided, I was like, oh, maybe I should go make this myself after I couldn't find anything that fit them. So that's what I'm working on. My company is called Hoohoo. And the first product that I'm working on is a diaper backpack. And the ultimate idea is to have a brand that makes gear for parents that is, you know, well-designed, gender neutral, high quality, and helps make the experience of taking care of your kids a little bit easier. I love it. So in this sort of startup world now, what keeps you up at night when you're thinking about this launch? Oh my God, so many things. You know, I'm bootstrapping and doing everything. What doesn't keep you up? (laughs) (laughs) Everything. You know, doing everything myself. And I think the two things that keep me up at night is one, figuring out if I'm putting my time and effort into right places. And when you're doing everything yourself, you you have to get help and get some outside freelancers and contractors. But it's just hard deciding what should I do myself internally and what should I hand off and work with someone else on. So it's a constant decision and, and assessment of, okay, am I spending my time on the right things that are going to move the needle? I think so that's mm. one big piece of it. The second thing is building an audience from zero is really hard. Uh, mm. It is hard. You really have to hustle. You got to go find people, put yourself out there. I think up until now, I've really only worked on businesses that had an established business and customer base. And so it wasn't growing from zero. And so what I realized is, you know, trying to figure out building an audience to get, you know, those first 100, 500, you name it, customers, it's, you know, it's a lot harder than I thought it'd be. Yeah, absolutely. Meng, I got to ask you the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what is your secret to scaling? My secret to scaling, I think, especially when it comes to a more established business, I would say is really building out your team thoughtfully and properly really understanding, okay, what are the, your growth strategy, your plan for the next 12 to 18 months? Who are the people you need to help? you achieve those plans and goals, being really clear on what the skill set is that you need, and then going and finding those people and really being clear about what the job is, what they will be doing. And then once you find the right talent, giving them autonomy and empowering them to make decisions so that you know, I think the secret to scale is you have to move really quickly, especially in the DTC space, and you need strong talent and you have to retain strong talent to move fast. Mm, I like that. I like that. Those are all all just good, good wisdom there. So I really, really appreciate that. I got three more questions for you. I hope that you're ready. 
Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. First question, favorite tool or app that you're using right now? Favorite tool app. I love Notion. It's become sort of the tool that I use for everything in terms of managing my business. It's super flexible. And so once you like understand how it works, it's super powerful. Awesome. I've had so many people mention Notion re recently that I don't want another tool, but I don't know. It sounded pretty good to me. It's awesome. <laughs> Second question for you. Favorite podcast or audiobook that you're listening to right now? Oh, favorite podcast or audiobook. There's this really small podcast. It's called Fluently Forward, and it's a woman, and she does celebrity blind items. So she just kind of talks about celebrity blind items and trying to figure out if they're true or not. It's kind of obscure, but I really enjoy it. Wow. <laughs> that is very obscure. Thank you. We'll, we'll make sure we share all the stuff in the show notes. We go and search it out and, and share it on the show notes. So if you guys are interested in that, you go check that out. Last question for you, Ming. If you could sit down with anybody, you get an hour with them and if whatever you want, some coffee, tea, beer, wine, they have to be alive and it can't be Elon Musk. Who would it be? I was going to say, I would sit down. He's everybody's like easy answer. And so I try to like not have Elon so that you have to think a little bit more you know, everyone wants to go meet Tony Stark, you know, but. <laughs> you know, the first person that comes to mind, I think her brand and business has been in the news a lot, would be Emily Weiss of Glossier. I think oh. she's. Yeah. I, you know, I really love the personal care beauty space. I've worked in it. I've like really seen and followed the growth of Glossier and also just some of the more challenging things they've experienced recently. And so I'd love to sit down with her and learn more about how she grew the business and how she's going to manage the business uh, right now through, you know, some probably turbulent times. Absolutely. Meng, this is an awesome conversation. Where can people find out more about you and follow along with your story with Huhu? Yeah. So I'd say you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me also on Twitter. If you just type in my name, Meng Lee, and then my Hoohoo's website is www.meethoohoo, which is H-U-H-U.com. Awesome. Thank you again so much for your time today. Thanks, Jordan. Hey guys, we hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.